Hello, welcome to the People Who Play podcast, the podcast designed to inspire you to live playfully. I'm Emma, and as always, I'm here with hashtag producer husband. Oh, it's me, I'm back. I was about to say my name, but I forgot that on this podcast, I have no name. Now, you are the producer of this podcast, and you gave me some advice recently, which was to listen back to the episodes which I've been putting off because I think oh no what if I listen to it and I think I'm gonna sound like an idiot well, <laughs> don't, don't, if you listen back to that bit you would be correct Emma and I listen back to all of them it's a good pod you think it's a good pod I but think it's a good pod I have made some observations about myself too I, many arms too many arms I breathe a lot yeah you're heavy breathing it's like you <laughs> smoke 40 a day I'm so I did it then I'm so Brett breathy. I don't know. Is that a panic thing? Is that what is that? You're a bit of a. I don't want to. No, I'm going to say it. <laughs> You're a mouth breather. Stranger things. You are a mouth breather. Mouth breather? Yeah. You know. A dumb person. A knucklehead. Knucklehead? Um, no. Like utilize your nose. Who's a mouth breather? You've got a nice nose. In Stranger Things, is it Dustin? Am I Dustin? No, just any people that annoy them in oh, Stranger great. Things <laughs> are mouth breathers. You know, unfortunately, it's not a nice term. No, <laughs> I think it's my asthma. I don't know. Oh, blame it on the asthma. I am very breathy. You, honestly, you are. We had to actually re-record this because of my too many breaths. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, you're not swimming, you're podding. Mm, I'm always swimming. Okay. Just keep swimming. Just oh, keep swimming. Oh, you've enjoyed the um, Olympics and watching all the swimming. We have Olympic fever over here, haven't we? We've yeah. got so into the Olympics as a family and it's been brilliant. I've been addicted. Yeah, it's been nice watching that 90-minute catch-up show yeah. in, in the evening because of the time difference. And I think the BBC has done a good job with that. It's family friendly. It's nice. You like the bit where they cut to all the families and everyone just cries. Including me. And I like the sport. Yeah, I also... Do you remember when I found out that it was CG and they weren't actually in Tokyo? Yeah, that's ridiculous. That was a bit of an argument. Emma just... like I was like, they're not in Tokyo. They're not... The floor... They're walking on, like, the sky. But now that's all I can see. I'm just like, oh, they're feet basically look invisible i feel sorry for them because all they're looking at up down behind them is just green yeah whereas what we're looking at is the tokyo skyline yeah it's like super cool mm. they're doing a good job they're good good presenters and there's so many sports in the olympics what, they do not breathe they've got their breathing game. oh my god they're breathing it's not like they they go to a link and they're just like <sighs> I need to. I need to breathe more like Claire Balding. You do. No, oh. you do. Oh, Claire Balding, how do you breathe? Teach me. Question about Balding. Mm. What was her discipline? What was her sport? She have looks. I got that, have I... She looks horsey, like she'd be into horses. I feel like she was maybe horse oh, horse no, lady. I don't know if that's right. Oh. She's one of those people that's. Shall I look it she's up? always been there. Yeah, she's had a long career hasn't she i'm just getting a live google she looks fantastic she's got fan- like fantastic puffy hair she's got lovely have you hair. ever thought about doing something like that with your hair she um did claire balding ride horses she did she was a 
top women's amateur flat jockey. What's a flat jockey? I think <laughs> you just, you really Do you lie down? The, no, 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 you run on the flat, Ems. No oh, hills. I see, I see. I was imagining like lying down on a horse. Yeah, lots of cool, like lots of um, things put into this Olympics to try and, uh, you know, make it down with the kids. You've got BMXing, yeah. skating. Yeah. They've also put climbing in, which I think is really yeah. cool. And I think it's been a success. Um, it's had a rebrand. It's had a rebrand and oh, I'm here for it. crushing that there's no fans there. Oh, so sad seeing because all I think those some, empty seats. Some athletes, I think they've missed that boost. Yeah. Especially, especially for some events where it's like close. I think like skating, <coughs> you need... <Ooh. laughs> Breathing. You're like, bleh. I, do you know what I think your problem is? What? Now, don't, like, I honestly actually think you think about breathing. Well, I have now. In, no, as in most people, it's just like, you know, it's automatic. Well, You're actually like, breathe in, breathe out. Well, all I'm thinking about now is how to breathe like balding. <laughs> Look, anyway, just to wrap up the Olympics chat. Mm. What's your favourite highlight been? Um, Men's hurdles for me. Yeah, and obviously, 400 meters, 400 meter hurdles. Unreal. That was great. Um, all of the swimming, diving, skating, BMXing, yeah, climbing. I mean, swimming. I'm just missing sports. <laughs> swimming was epic. I think can it's we, been. Can we talk about the one that we always skip as a family because Phoenix thinks it's cruel? Horse dancing. We call it horse dancing. I think its actual name is equestrian or something. Yeah, horse dancing. Yeah, he thinks it's cruel. Yeah, not into that. <laughs> skip, skip. Yeah. Um, it's been great for the kids to watch as well and watching it with the family. I feel like the, all of the stories of just the perseverance and the grit and the support that they get from their families has been really just beautiful to watch. Yeah. I mean, we, me and Phoenix were at a skate park the other day, an outdoor free skate park. And, you know, there was there was like six people underneath some shelter just doing weed whilst we were like smoking weed whilst we were skating. And this, this like lovely old couple like walked past and they were like, Ooh, see, because of the Olympics, everyone's getting into skateboarding. Everyone's getting into weed. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if these particular kids have been influenced by the no, just chonging on massive bifters. No, Barbara, they're here every Sunday. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Emma, what have you been up to? Um, I mean, we do see each other most days. Yeah, it's it's lovely to see you and just sort of have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. Five inches from my face. Yeah. With a big microphone between us. Yeah, I always want to bring up like big life chats when I've got you right here. Oh my could have brought goodness. I could have brought up why you haven't put that shelf up, but you did it. I did the shelf. I got my big drill out and I alpha mailed it up. Oh, I love it when you get your drill out, especially yeah. when you put your pencil behind your ear. Yeah, I, I become a different person. You do actually. It's yeah. play acting. Yeah. And actually, if we're having any work done on the house... That's and like, Amdram for me. And, like, sort of builders come round, you also turn into a slightly different person. You start sort of, like, yeah. tap, tapping walls and things. Yeah, I adapt. Yeah. I'm a social chameleon. I... I'll, I'll turn into the person I'm talking to. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should always, I'm not two-faced. You should always be yourself. Oh, bugger. That's what we teach the children, so... <laughs> You definitely are always yourself. I can vouch for that. Um, I love your passion for like building and labouring and like you sort of... I respect it. Yeah, you believe... Because you obviously did years of that and you sort of believe that, you know, like in Russia, how they make everyone go and like do... Conscript. Do war and stuff and like, don't they do that? Make everyone go be in... conscription? Go be in the army. I think that's... That thing... Isn't it Denmark or Norway or some countries still yeah, that, have it? Yeah, you believe that about labouring. You yes. think that everyone should go and do at least a year's one worth year. of labouring. Yeah. One year. 
teaches you how <laughs> basically one year of being bullied, I guess. Really? <laughs> teaches you resilience, mm. I think. And it's good to you gotta mix with other people and different types of people and good life lessons and good life skills. Mm. And also though, I mean it's also a great trade and profession to do. Yeah, you particularly like it in the summer. Oh tops my off. god, tops off. Oh, when all those guys were doing the garden and it started getting hot, I like came back here and there was like six just, of them just semi-naked, just like... Yeah, one guy on the building side I used to work on just pants. Pants, just Yeah, they pants. believe in a, a deep tanning, like deep tanning goals. <laughs> or burning. Or just burning, yeah, hard to know. You can't labour in your pants. I feel like that is some serious um, uh, well, what, high can, injury risk. You can in the uh, early noughties. Yeah. Now, speaking of the noughties... You're to hammer your penis. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> speaking of the noughties, I've been listening to a lot of Gwen Stefani and No Doubt. Lovely. Yeah. been cranking that up in the she car she is she's fantastic but she is very naughty just when you you know when you sort of think oh can you define that decade is it too soon it's like no you really can define it oh my god you can you, the outfit you massively yeah. can and yeah um indiana's been getting into her yeah it's been, it's been fun it's funny her songs are kind of um like the lyrics do you think they've stood the test of time what just about quite sort of about opulence and materialism in hindsight all the rage back then Ems yeah was true yeah I don't know if she could do the whole Harajuku girl thing anymore Mm. just turning up to like music awards with three Japanese young girls that don't talk yeah (laughs) and just sort of giggle bit of a stereotype maybe I don't know yeah Possibly not. Um, I do love Gwen though she was my big girl crush Um, still is still mine too no doubt awesome yeah and that that's the thing like listening to the late no doubt stuff it's like yeah i mean she she clearly was gonna get plucked from that band yeah and, and go solo it's but, um, kids like when they like something that you like you sort of like i try not to get too excited about it because i'm like <laughs> oh god yeah indy is full gwen <laughs> yeah she's deep She's deep. Yeah. What else have I been doing? Oh, yeah, I've been reading a 1990s Star Wars book called Tales from Jabba's Palace. <laughs> I've just been looking forward to reading that every evening, and I've just been spending my time in Jabba's Palace, hanging out. <laughs> Listen. Uh, what's happening in there? Oh, he's fantastic. <laughs> So is that just about Jabba? It's like it's, it's like thirty short stories from um, various characters from that hang out in his palace. I mean, it's actually heaven for me That's to read that. So who, who's writing that? Different authors for each one. Oh, yeah, I'm just thinking about it now makes me excited. Is that what Indy was like asking you about? Um... Oh, she's like, oh no, yeah, because we were sleeping out on the on the um, balcony and. And I was like reading Jabba's palace to them, and we didn't finish it. And she was like, "Oh, we really want to know what happens to Jabba's chef." <laughs> what did happen? Oh, he went down into the dungeons because Jabba thought he was trying to poison him. I mean, it's great Classic. stuff. 
Speaking of great stuff, Ems, who have you got on this pod? Well, we have my buddy um, who is in the, the kind of, there's like a play industry. So since I have um, gone all in on my business, Playful Den, I have been networking with all these people out there that work in play either they're speakers or they kind of go into like businesses and kind of teach about play or they do coaching or whatever it is but there's like all these really awesome people out there who are working within the play arena and Jeff Harry is one of them um that I've kind of become pals with he's awesome um his energy is fantastic he's such a nice guy um and he is um a thought leader in play and he specifically um focuses on play at work so he works with a lot of corporate businesses so we have that in common this sort of understanding of the corporate world and this episode today is all about how you can bring play into the workplace and use play to like resolve tensions to improve creativity to um foster more um engaging cultures that sort of thing and he works with all sorts of businesses like google and microsoft and adobe and amazon and facebook um teaching them how to solve problems um using play he's also a positive psychology coach um and yeah he's just a really a really really great thought leader on play so um yeah i'm really looking forward to everyone listening to this conversation particularly if you um you know if you you work in a team if you have some unresolved issues in your business or organization hopefully this conversation will inspire you to think about how play might have a role um in the working environment holy smoke emma that was some intro thanks Jeez. How was the breathing? It was, seemed okay. Okay, well, let's get the interview and hope that I'm not doing mouth breathing. Okay, let's do it. Roll VT. Not VT, that's videotape. <laughs> that's videotape. Oh, it was a joke. Yeah. So, I'm Jeff Harry. I run an organization called Rediscover Your Play which is the main goal is to help people rediscover who they are through play. And how I do that is I help people get into a state of flow by learning how to like play more. And when I'm not doing that, then I work with a lot of companies where we uh, help them have hard conversations, but we use play to do it. Um, As for how I got started in this, is when I was in third grade, I saw the movie Big. Did you ever see the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Love Big. Right? So I saw the movie Big with Tom Hanks. And in that movie, he's writing to toy companies. So, um, or not writing, he works for toy companies. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, you can do that for a living? So I started writing toy companies immediately. And I kept writing them from basically, I guess, third grade all throughout high school, sending them all these letters. I was spamming before spamming was a thing. (laughs) I don't even think they realized I was a kid because I'd be writing these six-page letters with all my ideas. Um, Finally, a company got back to me, told me to go to mechanical engineering. I never should have done that, but I did it anyway. Um, And then eventually found myself in the toy industry where, you know, I thought all my dreams would come true. And I hated it. 
Mm. Um, because, you know, even though you were surrounded by toys, I'm sure you've had this, you know, and, mm. and people that are selling toys, they weren't having fun. Mm. So I was like, what happened? So I had my quarter life crisis, moved to California, um, <laughs> found an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. Um, and I helped grow it from like seven people to about 400 people and we became like the largest lego stem educational company in like in the u.s um mm. and we did that all by playing cool and while we were doing that a lot of silicon valley companies started to pay attention to us asked if asked us if we did team building events and other events like that of course we didn't but we just said yes because that was the whole playful mindset and spirit mm. of just being like let's just do you know let's just say yes to everything and we'll figure it out from there right and yeah. um while i was running a lot of these um team building events i noticed that a lot of companies talked about creativity talked about collaboration talked about connection but but their atmospheres weren't playful yeah and they weren't really having those harder conversations so i I created Rediscover Your Play to tackle a lot of those issues. Mm. That's awesome. So with your Lego, you were teaching children engineering through Lego. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. That's so cool. I yeah. love that. It, and it was interesting because we started, I helped, I found, you know, that, that I bumped into that organization when it was only seven people in 2004. So STEM wasn't a thing. Yeah. You know, that, that the right. trend of STEM didn't get picked up until about 2008, at least in the U.S., when Barack Obama was elected. So, you know, we were doing it when a lot of kids that didn't know or didn't like sports and they didn't have any other place to go. Mm. So we created almost like a nerdy, fun, creative place where they could be themselves. Yeah. You know, and that was a huge need. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I've been um, mulling over and, and sharing a few thoughts on um, Instagram recently about children's activities and what's on offer and how they are more geared to those activities where there is a really obvious like achievement or success. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll start going through the certificates or the grades or the the competitions and whatever and obviously there I'm not anti that like that can be amazing for some children but that's the point like it's really not of interest to a lot of children and I think it's a shame that a lot of kids find fun and play in activities but then they just get really turned off when it all gets a bit like achievement orientated yes. and, and it kind of just made me feel like I realized how the offer is so kind of skewed to um, certain type of children I guess it's similar to the curriculum sort of suits one sort of type of mind but there is definitely less opportunity to get involved in something perhaps a bit more social with a little bit of structuring around it like what you described but that's not a like football camp or yep. you know whatever it might be well I I always talk about this about how you know I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment and you forget about time, right? Yeah. And you let go of results. 
So you're yes. fully in love with the process, you know, yes. and when a kid is fully in love with education or the educational process, you can remember, you know, even as a parent, you can remember your favorite teacher. It was because you really enjoyed the subject because they made it fun and engaging and you didn't look at the clock to wait mm. for when school was out or when that class was going to be over. Right. Yeah. You know, so so play is that. And how yeah. how do we help? you know, not just kids, but even adults get back into that state of flow and that state of play. And like you said, I think a lot of parents are focused on the results. What, what was, mm. what grades did you get? What was the score of the game? Like, like we're so fixated on results mm. that we almost can ruin the exploratory process yeah. and the curious, you know, nature of kids. And, you know, I say this a lot, but I think by the time you reach, you know, the age of 14, you've heard at least 40,000 no's. And those no's have come from your teachers. They come from your parents. And on top of that, there's a lot of shooting that happens. You know, mm. you should do this. You should do that. You should major in this. You should do this job. And on top of that, you are also told to raise your hand all the time. So, so we're almost knocking out a lot of the curious, exploratory, play-oriented nature of children. And NASA recently did a study about that where they found that the creativity levels of a three-year-old was around 98%. By the time they were seven, they were in the 50% range. And by the time they were you know, in their teens, it was, it was under 20%. And then by adult, it was like below 10 so mm. we're, we're taking out a lot of the creativity that makes these kids unique and fascinating and, and destroying what possibly could be the thing that they could impact the world with. And we have yeah. to be aware of that. Yeah. And isn't there some like crazy stat that like all kids under a certain age are in theory like... Um... <laughs> Um, a genius like they are certified genius because to be a genius you have to have a really sort of open um way of thinking and yes then, that like, was it yes just that was the knocked NASA out stuff. of them bled out of them right, <laughs> right. Yeah, structures so th that was that was the nasa study because they were studying oh, that was creative NASA. genius yeah 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 and then what was frustrating for nasa was be like we get these top students you know but they weren't able to think outside the box, right? They yeah. weren't able to take risks. They, you know, they either had like parents that had like mowed the lawn in front of them or the helicopter type, you know, that they couldn't handle disappointment. And NASA was like our whole, um, uh, what is it? Our whole approach to how we do a lot of our work is through a lot of failure. You know, I mm -hmm. had a friend who was a NASA engineer who said, you know, we looked for failure. We wanted to fail hundreds of times because by the time we sent, she was working on one of the rovers, by the time we send that rover out to Mars, we need to have known all of the failures before it gets out there, you mm. know? So we're looking for that. And I think a lot of kids haven't had the opportunity to really fail. And this is the time to do it mm. so they can become resilient. I am like fascinated by the impact of cancel culture mm. on them and their um, like nervousness mm -hmm. to take risks. Um, mm -hmm. 
and that's sort of layered with increased academic pressures um, and sort of um, social pressures from kind of growing up online and it's all um, yeah it's just very unplayful Um, and they sort of have this seriousness um, coupled with this fear um, so early on in their life like I just think it must be so difficult to sort of go sort of come of age as a teenager um, in the sort of world as it is today because of that um, lack of opportunity to experience failure in what feels like a safe way. I agree completely. And and I think of the, the idea of comparison as the thief of joy. I sometimes say also ex- expectation mm-hmm. is the thief of joy. But really what's important is comparison being the thief of joy, especially in this Instagram, Snapchat, you know, TikTok, you know, type world is they've done studies where certain countries that used to have higher happiness levels as the Instagram and TikTok downloads went up, right? As more people started using those apps Mm. and started comparing themselves to the outside world, you know, um, there was increases in depression, right? You know, And, and we have to be able to explore that and really allow for kids to not only be kids, but allow for kids to be their weird self, right? Like, you know, to try things on, to try something on, and like look silly. And I think a lot of times it's so sad when you see a kid, you know, dancing and playing and being all weird and, you know, being like, you know, right? Right. (laughs) And then the next year they are very serious. And you're like, what happened? Like, where's all the play? Like, where's Mm. you? You know, I just Mm. saw you just a minute ago. And now and now you're like, well, you know, my friends might not like that because, you know, that's not the cool thing to do. And it's like, oh, no, you fell Mm. for the cool thing. I've been there myself. You know, I have a whole embarrassing teenage story about that on YouTube. Um, But it's really hard to not want to assimilate and not Mm. want to belong like it's just a it's just a natural thing you know in your psychology to belong yeah but you might lose yourself in as you chase your worth trying to belong yeah and I guess that's kind of timeless isn't it with adolescence and Mm -hmm. the sort of social acceptance I'm really interested actually in um I know you are particularly interested in getting adults to play more um Mm. I'm also really interested in play through adolescence because I think um hopefully most kids do have a lot of play in their childhood but I think what's interesting is um like the impact of when you stop playing and the correlation that that has on your um well-being yep. and also your sort of um sense of self um, and yep. i you know having been involved in lots of different research projects can see that like generally like kids sort of feelings of self-worth and like belief in uh, their ability to do anything and their mm. levels of optimism, blah, blah, blah. Generally sort of like quite high up until mm-hmm. like nine, mm-hmm. 10, 11. Yep. And then they just like fall off a cliff. Yep. <laughs> like it's crazy. Like, yeah. um, and I'm really curious, like I would love to do um, some kind of scientific study on like what would happen if that's the point where you just dial up the play. You're like, okay, the world is telling you right now that you need to stop playing and you want to like get into like more serious stuff and you become like, I just would be so fascinated to see what happens if at that point you just dialed it up and you 
just went right. all in. <laughs> like the impact that that would have on, you know, navigating that tricky, tricky stage through adolescence and into adulthood. I so want to talk to you about how... <laughs> What kind of reactions do you get when you go into corporate businesses, corporate America as well? So I work a lot um, in the US and have a lot of clients out there. And like, I'm just dying to hear <laughs> the different reactions mm -hmm. that you have in your sessions. Because um, like in when I have um, used playful techniques in workshops and, and, and things in the past, um, I think like there's always a sort of a different types of people, people that like love them and really yep. gravitate towards it. And then there's like the cynics and then there's those that are sort of like up for it, but they just lose interest very, very quickly because they cannot see yep. <laughs> like the outcome, like they just lose patience. Um, so I, I'd love to hear some stories. You can debrand them if you want to, but sure, <laughs> I'd love to hear sure. like the type of, um, yeah, like responses that you get in corporate environment to introducing play to people. Yeah, so th that's such a great question. So, so just first going back to your first point about, you know, uh, productivity, right? Mm. Is I think a lot of adults attach their self-worth to their productivity. Mm. You know, my friend Angie Cole talks a lot about that, of like the danger of doing that because then when quarantine hit and people weren't productive does your self-worth go down so mm. there's a worthwhile question of exploring how are you measuring your self-worth how do you measure how good of a day you had right yeah. and if it's just based off of productivity you know that's something sometimes that's outside of your control and we should be focused on the things that actually provide us fulfillment and you know viola davis says this a lot of like you know you you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And you, and every day and every decision you make, you have to ask yourself, am I claiming who I am as an individual or am I chasing my worth? Meaning am I trying to impress somebody else? You know, yeah. and you really have to explore that. So having said that, you know, when I'm at companies, um, yeah, all of them find play to be frivolous, a waste yeah. of time. Many of them do. But then what's interesting is then when you ask them, when the organization first started or the startup, because I work with a lot of startups, you go like, well, tell me about the beginning when you were in your garage, when you were only seven people working out of like an apartment building. And they were like, oh yeah, you know, it was so much fun. You know, we yeah. were so creative, we were so collaborative, we were, you know, taking risks. And I was like, you were playing, yeah. you know, your company exists because you played, right? Mm -hmm. And now I turn to companies and I'm like, when, wh what would you do if you could figure out ways in which to get your staff to be more in a flow state, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like the word play, but they love the I word love. flow, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and the word flow and play are synonymous because mm -hmm. it's, it's someone is doing work where they forget about time. You know, um, the doctor of flow, Dr. Chick set me high, um, created this this chart, this flow chart, ironically, where the difficulty of a task meets your skill level, and that's when you're in flow. You know, and then when you are anxious is when your skill level doesn't meet the task, and when um, you're bored is when um, you have a lot of skill, but you you know, but you 
but the challenge isn't really great. But figuring out what type of work gets your staff into flow and allowing them to find ways in which to do five to 10% more of it. That's why Google does the 20% challenge where they have their staff, they give their staff personal project time to pursue something that has nothing to do with their job. And that's how Gmail was formed because someone was playing around with it and being like, let me figure this out. So f helping people to see play in a problem solving format is that's a way in which you can make your staff thrive in ways that you never thought possible and get so much more out of them. And then in addition to this, this helps your bottom line in two ways. First, they love then to be there because they know that you're going to give them opportunities to do their play work work, right? Like mm. the flow work. And then second, it helps your bottom line because then all of a sudden they are willing to take risks. They're willing mm. to be creative in ways that you never thought possible. They're willing to, you know, that cliche, think outside the box. Mm. Because whenever I've come into organizations where I'm like, okay, what do you want us to do? Oh, well, we want to work on communication. Oh, we want to work on connecting and collaborating more. And we want to be creative. And I walk into the room and it is tense right? It's so tense. No <laughs> one's taking risks. You know, they just laid off a bunch of people and I'm like, whoa, whoa, there's no way in which we can play in this environment. Mm -hmm. Because and this kind of ties in with uh, what I learned from my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, where she talks about how you cannot play until you learn how to soothe yourself. Mm -hmm how you calm yourself down. And that's actually tied with the person that took care of you the most. So if the person that took care of you the most had a lot of anxiety, that might be a reason why you have trouble soothing and calming yourself. But if you notice you have some of your greatest ideas when you're in the shower, when you're on the walk, when you're doing something that's actually very calming for you. So we then have to work with these companies to first create a safe, calm, soothing place for them to play or we can't play to begin with. So mm. I like to approach it from the point of like, what are your pain points? Oh, you're dealing with toxicity in the workplace. Well, let's practice how to communicate the way in which you used to communicate as a kid. Let's actually practice that because a lot of times we don't practice having hard conversations at work, you know, and we dive into all these different pain points. And then I'm like, I just so happen to use play as the mode to use it. And then, the, and then they're much more open to it. Yeah. Wow. And they have difficult conversations like their childlike selves. <laughs> I mean, I, would... I mean, I mean, they do. I, I, I run a workshop called dealing with toxic people at work. Right. Mm. And it's all about who is that toxic person. If you, and if you ask any team, usually in any company or organization and you're like who's that toxic person everybody knows who it is they all know right <laughs> they just know and, you know and and sherm the hr um you know overseeing national organization here uh did a study back in october of 2019 and found out that 232 billion dollars just in fortune 500 companies for in the past five years was lost due to toxic people so like that toxic person is costing you money because people are leaving. Mm -hmm. So we'll go into an organization 
and be like, all right, first off, how do you have that conversation with that person? You know, how do you, if that person is taking up so much time and space in a meeting, you know, let's work with the other people that recognize this and are like, let's take up more space at the meeting, right? You mm -hmm. know, then second, we practice like, what, what would it be like to confront that toxic person in a productive way? Because sometimes they don't realize they're being toxic. You know, you can, you know, how do you say to Chad, Chad, you know, when you cut off Julie, when she was sharing, we find you do that a lot. And whenever you do that, that makes us all feel like we don't want to sh that we don't want to share in, in the meetings. Is that your intention, Chad? Oh, it's not your intention. Well, that's what's happening. Just want to point that out to you, right? <laughs> and then if Chad is just like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want because I'm Chad and I can, you know, I'm the brilliant jerk, right? Uh, Simon Sinek talks a lot about that of like, you know. Is it worth it to keep the brilliant person if that person is causing everyone else to hate work, right? Mm. And he interviewed the Navy SEALs in the U.S. and found that they will never pick the brilliant jerk over the team because it destroys the team, right? So mm. I would approach then the boss and be like, you know, Chad is not you know, representing a lot of the mission and values mm. of the organization and actually has caused these three people to quit. You know, do we want this to continue? And then that puts it on the boss to either check Chad or not, you know, and if they don't, then you realize that organization's not for you anymore, right? But then the biggest challenge, and I even run this in my, you know, dealing with inner critic workshop is you have your own inner toxic person. You have your own mean person. And I think a lot of parents also feel this way too, where you're like someone that's like, oh, you're not a good enough parent. Oh, you're making mistakes. Oh, your kid's going to be a failure. Like how much are you listening to that inner critic? And if you're able to set boundaries with that inner critic and be like, you know what? When Chad says that, I don't know what I'm talking about at work. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, like mm. I know I, I do deserve to be the VP of this organization. I do deserve to, to be in the room making decisions. And when you're able to set those boundaries, the next time Chad cuts you off, you can turn to him and be like, Chad, don't ever speak to me that way. Don't ever act like that in front of me. And when you do that, not only is it emboldened you to set your boundary and then Chad's like, oh, I guess I can't mess with that person anymore. <laughs> but it also gives bravery to everybody else to be like, yeah, Chad, don't do that to me either. And then it forces Chad to decide, do I want to stay at this organization because I can't act like mm. a rude bully anymore? Or do I change my behavior? And that is what we help people do. Wow. You take on the, uh, <laughs> you take on the big, the big juicy The issues. big juicy, yeah, all They're of that. They're always so important. I find, I find it really interesting talking about um, using play and play in the workplace because I feel like play is just so obvious to me that it yeah. makes work easier, better, more effective people happier blah 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 but it's like almost like the two things are so opposing mm. um and it's like when we go to work we all become these like really weird like characters <laughs> like where we're all sort of grown up and yep. um you know we're all sort of slightly pretending that we know what we're doing and yep. that we are and like this word professionalism mm -hmm. um i have a real like it's quite a triggering word for me because I feel like obviously <laughs> we all know that we have to be professional 
in certain situations but often that word is thrown around I feel like in a way that is making you feel like actually you need to like just put a like a cap on yourself and conform and like keep a part of yourself hidden maybe it's like a vulnerable side or a playful side or whatever it is Um, and it's kind of like like hidden within this term professionalism yeah well we have to backtrack to again when we were kids and people told you not to be so mischievous right Mm. how many times did someone say whether that was your parent or a teacher to be like you're just too much right now stop being so much Mm. right so we have a lot of that pain right that we have to address that that's the whole soothing aspect of it Mm. you know and then when we go to the workplace we again want to belong so we try to act like everybody else but who says you can't be yourself and be professional Right. I mm, I learned that exactly. wearing my Lego bow tie. I have a Lego bow tie. I used to wear it at conferences all the time just as a joke. And then I realized it was it was such an enjoyable thing for me to wear because it reminded me not to take myself seriously. It also gave other people permission to be like, hey, well, that guy's not taking them, himself too seriously. I can hang out with that guy. Let me nerd out with him. So then I started like talking to other people and, and they felt more comfortable around me because ironically enough, I was giving them permission to play. And it's mm. just like, how do you want to show up to work, right? Like mm. I always ask the question of who are you trying to impress? Oh, I'm trying to impress my boss. Why? You know, what well, you're going to get a raise because you are pretending to be someone that you're not, you mm-hmm. know, like, like by doing all of this work, you know, is it helping? I mean, it reminds me of high school when you were trying to impress, I was trying to impress the cool kids. Did, did I ever? No. Right. Did it mm-hmm. matter a year from now? No, it didn't. So mm-hmm. what am I doing? Like, yeah. how do I want to <laughs> show up, especially, you know, now in this time where like, mm-hmm. you know, life is so precious and you only have a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. How do you want to show up authentically as you? Right. And yeah. And I think that yeah. that's what people don't necessarily make the link of what play can do for them because the more that you play the more you value play and put that into your life the more um confidence you get to allow yourself to just be who you are Yes. Yeah. And, but it's, but it's scary. I remember at, you know, I was talking to a a few of my clients and they were like, I don't feel comfortable being myself at work. You know, then you have to look, is that the right organization for you? Or, Mm. or are you telling yourself stories and like, why don't you try being a little bit more of yourself and see what happens? It could start Mm. with something as simple as like wearing, you know, more funny things at work or whatever the thing, you know, whatever you, you, whatever way you want to like show up. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I feel like it's so exhausting to wear the facade, Mm. right. To be the professional fake you Mm. and just imagine how much more productive, happier and fulfilled you were if you could be more, of yourself. Yeah. And here's the other thing that's really amazing. When your kids, especially if you're working now from home, see you being more of you at work and just more mm. of you in life, 
That is one of the most amazing examples because kids don't pay attention to your words. They pay attention to your actions. Mm -hmm. So when you are pursuing things that scare you, that, you know, make you vulnerable, you know, and you're doing it and sometimes you turn to your kid and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just trying it. Then they're more likely to do that as well. Yeah, definitely. It's so fascinating. I think people's relationship with work um and i know there's a lot of um women in my community at the moment Mm. that are uh you know making big changes um with their employment because perhaps they've been out on maternity leave or Mm -hmm. been made redundant or they're looking to kind of package up their skills in a different way and i think one of the, the conversations that um sometimes crops up is you know can work be kind of playful um and enjoyable um, and is that important to pursue a career that gives you that or for some people can work just be quite transactional in the mm. you know it pays me to fund a lifestyle where outside of work I am able to therefore get all of my play um and sort of pursue my passions I think it's quite interesting that um those ways of looking at it for me I want everything right (laughs) like I I need it across everything like I um yeah I spend a lot of time at work um and I really um I am a doer I am a worker um but I I would not be able to do a job where I wasn't able to feel um a playfulness within that well i think something that's fascinating to explore is that it it could be it could be either right yeah it's more the idea of of what is your style yeah how do you want to show up to work and how do you want to show up in the rest of your life you know just like running the numbers right like most people are working an average of 50 hours a week right and they're working maybe 50 weeks out of the year so that's 2500 hours right you know and and if you think about in a year you know what is it uh 24 hours times 365 is about 8760 hours so you know you're looking at 25 26 percent of your of your working year or your your life is at work Right. So a challenge that I have for people is if you see it as transactional, great. Right. But then just let it be transactional and not let it seep into the rest of your life. I think a lot of people, if they approach it from a transactional standpoint, also then let it take over their life. And then there's no fun in their life. Right. Because they're always focused on work. So if you're going to make that decision, then make that decision and leave work at work so that you can actually play. But if you really are going to be like, well, you know, it's all together, then all right, if you have, if you're at work 40 to 50 hours a week, what is the work that you do that you actually love where you forget about time? And can you just do one to three percent more of that type of work? I'm not Mm -hmm. asked and I'm not saying you have to like totally change everything but that just being able to like i start my day by playing i make these really stupid ridiculous tiktok videos but when i do that it positively primes my mind for the rest of the day to see play in a fun way right Mm. you know so like i do that in the morning and then i ask myself a question that my friend desiree taught me which is how can it get any better than this 
And I asked that in a very curious way, not in an expectating way, but a curious way. And then I start stacking all of the positive experiences that are coming up like, oh, I just made this really fun TikTok. How can it get any better than this? Oh, I just introduced my friend to a, a possible new job opportunity. How can it get any better than this? Oh, Emma and I are not talking on the Playful Den <laughs> podcast. How can it get any better than this? And, and I build off of that. And that's how you can actually make a day that is really worthwhile and awesome. On the flip side, when someone says they had a bad day, they didn't actually have a bad day. They had a bad moment. And then mm. thoughts usually last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So you're then running that bad moment in your head a thousand times throughout the day. So why not focus on the positive ones? And why not in your 2,500 hours of work, focus on doing the things that actually bring you slightly more joy so that when you're done with work, you have energy to play with your kids. You have energy to have your kids be like, I'm ready to join your imaginative world. Let's go, you know? And yeah. I feel like that is what you can do. Yeah, I think the other thing um, that happens, well, I definitely know this from personal experience, but I think when there's a part of your job that is particularly enjoyable, um, Oh, rather yes. than like you say which yep. is what you should be doing how do i do more of this i think you can actually retreat from it because you think oh it's work like i shouldn't do that part yes. of it because it's too fun so it obviously can't be the most important thing um yes. so a massive part of my job and i have to tell my team this all the time is like thinking like really that's what we do um we think and i'm always saying you know do you put time in your diary for thinking and everyone's like no <laughs> um because it's the part that everyone loves um and i think uh, i mean that must be quite common and i think if you if you looked for most people at the parts of their job that they love the most if they leaned into them and did more of them and prioritized them i reckon it would have a ricochet effect on everything um, oh. but it's just that we're sort of conditioned aren't we to sort of associate we sort of become a martyr sometimes when we yes. don't need to be oh preach yes <laughs> yes keep going emma this is so good this is so good no it's true i mean and there's so many studies that show this you know mm. when you're able to get in your play work and let's like break it down right just for a moment right when you're in a state of flow as dr chickset mihai would talk about what actually is happening is your prefrontal cortex, there's an actual part of your prefrontal cortex that shuts down. And you're like, well, I don't want it to shut down. Well, well but here's what happens when it shuts down. You actually have experience something called transient hypofrontality. And parts of, that, of your brain shut down, which then re reduces your inner critic. Mm. It also then causes your mind to become like um i think it's like it becomes more of like an implicit uh, mind where you are open to more creativity and your mind is open to more curiosity so as your inner critic goes down that voice goes down your creativity goes up and your curiosity goes up and when that happens you get a dose of dopamine that happens, right? Because yeah. it's almost rewarding you for your curious nature. Mm. And that is actually the work, in my opinion, that we need more of in the yeah. world. You know, like that. Howard Thurman talks about that all the time where he's like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. 
because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Well, what is the work that makes you come alive more? Because imagine when you're doing more of that work, not only are you showing up fully, but then you're giving permission, as Marianne Williamson says, you're giving permission for everyone else to also show up because you're letting your light shine. You're, you're letting everyone else's permission to let their light shine, right? So yeah. there's such a powerful effect that you're doing for the world when you actually pursue the work that brings you joy and fulfillment. And that's why I loved what you just said. I love that. Um, and I'm very interested in um, the effects of play on mental health. Um, mm. I'm particularly interested in how we've had this sort of huge um, spike in uh, the mindfulness trend, for example. Right. Um, and I think it's sort of widely known now that mindfulness is incredibly effective. Um, at like managing stress and um, anxiety and lots of the other mental health issues. And I think sometimes I, um, I guess I get a bit frustrated that like the same level of, um, I guess, promotion isn't given to play yep. because it does exactly the same thing, but it also, um, as you were saying, brings the element of joy. So mm -hmm. I think... I'm really fascinated in this. Like it has the effects of mindfulness because of what's happening in the brain as you describe and the the grounding in the present. But I don't know if mindfulness really brings joy. Like it brings sort of calm and soothing and perhaps like relaxation. But I don't know if I'd describe it as bringing joy. And I think that is what is really unique and special about play is that right. you get all of those sort of soothing and calming effects, but you also get joy, um, which, you know, we all need more joy, right? Well, so I was, this is, that's so interesting because I was on a mindfulness podcast. I'm, I'm actually on a lot of them. <laughs> Did you just um, have to sit there in silence? You know, and yeah. <laughs> And, and it's, it's interesting because even in the mindful world, they know they take, they take stuff almost too seriously sometimes, mm. right? Because if you think of meditation, right? Meditation, again, is like, is, is another, you know, it could be a form of play. But a lot of people, have, again, focus so much on the results and they're yeah. like, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't focus. Uh, you know, like my mind keeps going crazy. And it's like, well, if you're able to let go of the results of meditation then, you know, you then are able to then calm and soothe your mind. But even if you see people doing meditation, they brag about how much meditation they've done, right? <laughs> it's so like, true. You know, I've done, like, eight I've done 2,000 days in a row. Well, <laughs> I guess, congratulations. Like, I don't know, like, you know, like, okay. It's, like, it's not a competition. It's so Everything funny. Everything doesn't my, have to be a competition. My what husband are we doing? started doing mindfulness. My husband is quite a, he's very disciplined and he's like an all or nothing guy like right. he he once just ate a tin of tuna for lunch like every day for a year it was really annoying um but anyway he started doing mindfulness and I was like oh I know he's gonna be so good at this because he's so disciplined and he was and he was doing it every day and in the end he had to give up because he was like I've got to give up my mindfulness because it's stressing me out so much because I can't break my cycle because the app obviously is encouraging you to have this streak 
of mindfulness. Exactly. I just found it hilarious that he had to give up mindfulness because he was stressing him out. Right. <laughs> and there is, again, like in, in Buddhism, there is a type of meditation, you know, I think it's called mudita, which means joy, right? And it's a type right. of pursuing meditation where you're focused on joy. But I think, huh. again, just like in, you know, like if you think of also yoga, it's there's a lot of release and let go, but not the way in which the Western world has created yoga, where it's just like, well, if you can't do this bendy pose where your foot is on top of your your face, then you're not good at yoga. And it's like you're you're losing the whole point of mindfulness, right? Yeah. Which is just simply just be aware. Right. One thing I learned in positive psychology that I thought was one of the most powerful things is this idea that that you're allowed to have multiple emotions at the same time. Right. Mm. And I experienced that when my dad died and I was at his funeral and all of his brothers are there and his brothers hadn't seen each other in over 30 years since their mom died. They hadn't gotten together, you know, so I felt joy that they were all there. Then I felt guilty that I felt joy because I was at a funeral of my dad. But then I realized I can feel joy and sadness at the same time. Right. You, yeah. you can feel anger and happiness at the same time. You can feel a lot of different emotions if you and that's the whole part of mindfulness is allowing for those emotions like Pixar's Inside Out, where it's much more complex and nuanced. But I think adults are so fixated on results and we're so fixated on winning when there isn't anything to win. You can't like win <laughs> life, right? But we're trying to constantly win. Like I have more stuff than you. Even though I'm about to die, I have more stuff than you. Congratulations, <laughs> right? Like what are, what are we celebrating here, right? You know, and it's just like, dude, what are we doing? Like... Like, um, I forgot what the Dalai Lama's um, quote was. I'm trying to look it up. But it was it was something about how, you know, something around like we work to get happiness. But then when we get happiness, then we have to do like more work. We're, we're constantly chasing things and we're like destroying our health in the process, mm. you know. And one thing that I find, and I say this a lot, um, is I know a lot of millionaires. I know a lot of people that that have a lot of affluence, people that are rich enough to travel the world like 10 times over, right? They are not happy. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. They are not joyful. Like a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them suffer from what I coined as affluent deadness. Yeah. They where they have everything, right? They have all the Oh, they have the the cars, the house, the you know, uh, you know the the resort, you know the the lake house, whatever it is. They have things, and yeah. I watch them, and either they feel sad because they don't have as much as the person next to them, or they feel paranoid because they're worried they're going to lose all of their stuff. Mm. Or they just look really bored, but not bored in a fun way. Bored in like. Oh, I thought I would be happy when I got here and now yeah. I have everything and I don't really know what to do because like I thought it would it would be interesting but it's not. Yeah. And then those same people 
will then post on Instagram about all their wealth, mm. selling the idea that they are happy when I know behind the scenes they're not. So it's mm. like, oh, what are we doing? So we have people that are affluent that are not happy. And then we have people that are chasing that affluence so they can get there only to then realize they won't be happy either. And it's just mm. like play. What's so powerful about play is you're joyful in the moment. Mm. It teaches you to be joyfully present every day. And mm. if you think of your most memorable moments in your life, a majority of them are play moments. So why would we not be focused on playing more? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, um, just before we wrap up, I really, you mentioned TikTok and I know you love a bit of the TikTok. <laughs> um, and I find it interesting that particularly younger generations um, have sort of how they've gravitated to certain platforms mm -hmm. um, and how they've moved away from others. Um, and TikTok has like grown massively. And I think in lockdown particularly was like booming and it is the most playful yep. of all the social medias, yep. right? And I yep. find that quite interesting how it's almost like you know social media is still so new even though we all think that we're experts at it we're right. all absolute amateurs and have no idea how to talk to each other on it um but i think it's fascinating to watch the sort of the cycle of how the trends in social media are moving to be more playful and it's a bit yep. like out of the anti-trend of oh so over like perfection glossy yep filters like fake and then actually what what people are gravitating towards is play i know that that's to a certain extent still exists on there but there there is without a doubt more silly on there yeah yeah it's so it's interesting there's so many tiktoks that people make about the difference between instagram and tiktok right oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah and the whole idea of instagram for a lot of people are that it is a place where you put your perfect self, right? Yeah. Where you, you know, you, you know, ev you know, everything is is curated, and it's almost like you're running a channel yeah. of your best self, right? Yeah. And and what's what's challenging about that is when you're feeling bad, you know, Mar my friend Marsha Shandor will always say this: when you're feeling bad, you then go to social media to look for connection. But sometimes when you go on Instagram and you get into that Instagram scroll, all you feel is worse <laughs> yeah. because you just see that everyone's life is perfect, which it isn't, right? But yeah. you think everyone's life's perfect and yours is, is horrible. You're comparing their perfect life to your normal everyday existence. Mm. Um, and what's interesting about TikTok, and don't get me wrong, there's a whole, you know, it became popular because... A lot of people would just do dances and look cute on there. Mm -hmm. But during quarantine, there were a lot of people, especially people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I know quite a few 60, even 70-year-olds that are <laughs> on there, right? Where they found it as a platform where they could just be silly. Yeah. you know. And then what's the funny thing is you could make something silly. And then someone could play with that by duetting it and being silly themselves. So it's like, it is, there's been enough of a contingent of people, not everyone, but a contingent of people that are just like, I'm gonna be ridiculous here. 
And I might not show this to any of my friends or family, but this is a place I'm going to be ridiculous. Mm. And then other people are then given permission to be ridiculous, right? Yeah. I think what I observe in TikTok is like an explosion of silliness. And I guess we had it on other forms, like memes, and we had kind of like animal whatever on youtube and stuff but i felt like that's what i saw when tiktok was gaining momentum was um finally like give me i just want to be silly and i find that quite fascinating like almost like a deficit of silly that exists um and here you know given this channel it was a yeah a place to allow that to breed and i find that very curious that people have a lot of silliness in them waiting to just to get, come out. To, to get out. And what's interesting <laughs> is the re- is like, it's not that you're not allowed to be silly on Instagram or YouTube yeah. or Twitter, but it's because those have been around for yeah. quote unquote so long. There's so many YouTube experts, right? There's so many Instagram experts and yeah. influencers. But on TikTok, because it was so, it's been around for like, a year and a half, maybe two years, really popular, right? There's no rules, you know? Like you're not paying attention to, it's funny, people are not even paying attention to celebrities on TikTok because they're like, I don't care about you. I care more more about my friend and myself than I am about about you because I'm able to be ridiculous on here. Mm, It's so true about the rules thing. Like there's so many people out there sort of advising you like how to trick the algorithm and how you should be doing this, how you should be doing that. And it's just such a turnoff for me personally. It makes me just want to like, just throw it all in the bin. Um, So I can really see that, that appeal of just being like, oh, it's very playful, isn't it? It's like, this is new. Like no one knows what they're doing here. This is fun. Like (laughs) just going to all act like idiots. (laughs) And here's what's interesting because there are a lot of people still on TikTok that, or not a lot, but a few people that, 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 reach out and say those things. They're like, I figured out the TikTok algorithm and this is how you go viral, right? Mm. But here's the thing that's so interesting about going viral, because like I've had some things that have you know gotten really popular. If you chase the virality, you are constantly then going to be disappointed. Yeah. Because then you are constantly then trying to figure out what will people like? And again, you end up chasing your worth. But when you're just making silly stuff for yourself, like mm. like sometimes when, when, and don't get me wrong, I struggle with this. When I make silly stuff for myself, I'm so much happier with it, regardless of whether it does well or not. But when I get something that's really popular, what's funny is a lot of times it's not even the thing I like the most. Yeah. You know? So I'm yeah. like, it doesn't really matter what the results are in this, it's more the idea of like, ooh, I get to express myself in a way I wouldn't otherwise be able to. And I think yeah. that is what we have to remind ourselves with any social media is how do I wanna show up and what do I wanna create and why do I wanna create it? I wanna create it for me, not for anyone else. And if people mm. like it, great, but I'm letting go of the results and not yeah. looking for the likes because the likes are not gonna give me the love that I seek. Yeah, and that's so interesting because play, to be true, truly at play, it has to be intrinsically motivated. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start doing things for extrinsic reasons, it's 
does it, it can be playful but it becomes something else and right. i think perhaps that's that's where we see this like frustration in what we're looking at because everyone is creating content for external validation and by doing so somehow you are stripping out a bit of authenticity because you're removing the play from it yep huh interesting well thank you jeff as always um Love chatting to you. And then as as we close out, can I goodwill hunt people as we close out? Go for it. Um, Because, (laughs) because, you know, well, thinking about silly is just, you know, play is actually also needed for survival. That's what animals do. That's how they learn to do a lot of the things that they do. But tying this to goodwill hunting, I don't know if you remember goodwill hunting really well. But, you know, at the end of it, um, you know, for people that don't know, you know, Matt Damon in that movie is a genius, you know, and he has this amazing talent. And his best friend, Ben Affleck, is not a genius, you know. <laughs> he works at a construction site. And they're yeah. both actually working at a construction site at the end of the movie. Um, and Matt turns to Ben and he's just like, you know, I'm going to be raising, I look forward to raising my kids at Foley Field. We're going to watch baseball, you know, at Foley Field, you know, and raise our kids together. And Ben turns to him and it's like, I'm going to kill you if you're here in 20 years. I'm going to kill you. And Matt is like, what are you talking about? Oh, like I owe it to myself because I have this like talent. And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. And you owe it to everyone else at this construction site that would give anything to have what you have. You, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And what I would say to the people listening here is like that silly, playful, weird part of you is your winning lottery ticket. It's the thing that the world actually needs. And in order for somebody else to show up, they are waiting for you to show up so they can show up. So please, you know, allow yourself to be weird, allow yourself to be silly, allow yourself to explore and be more playful because it's going to be inspiring to you, your kids, and it's also going to help so many more people, you know, to play in this world. I love that. Thank you so much. And yeah, more from us soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. Bye. And that was Jeff Harry. What a guy. Talk to that guy all day. Playing at work, mm. I thought that was going to be like, you know, maybe having Star Wars Battlefront on the other screen and you're gaming. <laughs> it's not quite that, is it? No, that's what people assume. Um, and I think that is just one of the general misconceptions about play is that when when we think of the word play, people tend to think about foosball or um you know an arcade machine or some people just think of like messing around yes yes stop messing around yes and actually what you're really looking for is to be in a flow state where you're trying things out you're open to ideas you're not not kind of resistant and that's why play um is great for the workplace you love talking about flow Flow this, flow that. Yeah, because flow everything. Because it's lacking in modern culture. Well, let you, I'll tell you something. I flow. <laughs> I've never not flown. <laughs> I'm very fluid. Are you just in a continual flow state? Is that good? I don't. It, I think so. I think that would mean you're sort of like akin to being like a Buddhist monk. Oh God! I I feel like just I'm liquid. 
I just, whatever I'm poured into, I become. <laughs> oh, no. That's Is it a bit like the... When I'm talking to people, I become them. No. Got, what am I? When you're in flow... Am I a comedian? When you're in flow, it means that you have zero awareness of time because you're so deeply engaged in the activity that you're doing. I think That's I'm, how you are with your Star Wars, Jabba's Palace. Yeah, I think I'm part of that. Yeah. I'm not very good with time. You find it easy probably to get into flow because you play a lot. <clears throat> Blimey. Sorry, I'll cut that out. Easy. Do I find it easy to get into flow? Yes. I thought it was really interesting, the advice that Jeff gave about um, getting bored. Like that's Mm. how to... You're big on that? Yeah. How to find what you're interested in or how to figure out how to get back to a flow state is to make sure that you have moments of boredom. And I always talk about that in the context of kids. You do, Emma. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a dying. Be bored. It's a dying like art in a way, because there's so many sources of entertainment and it's so easy to give them something instantly, um, instant gratification. Um, But I haven't always so much thought about that as an adult. Um, And I did it the other day. I was, um, I had, I think everyone was out and Scout was napping and I was also going to have a nap. I've been having secret naps. That's another episode. Um, Secret naps? (laughs) I've been having secret naps. When? I listened to this podcast with Russell Brand and Joe Wicks and um, was it no no it was Louis Theroux and Joe Wicks sorry Russell Brand um and Louis Theroux they were like Joe Wicks was like what's your sort of like secret or your like well-being tip that you do and Louis Theroux was like oh I nap in toilets at work (laughs) (laughs) my god but you don't do that here do you I don't nap in the toilet no. no but there's been a couple of rare occasions recently where I'm like I have got a little window where I could have a little snooze doesn't happen very often and I've done it absolutely fantastic let me shock you I don't <clears> think I've been bored for over 30 years yeah well this is what I did I never I get had, bored I had the opportunity there's always stuff to do yeah well I had the opportunity the other day to either do some housework have a secret nap or That's be not bored being... oh. and I was like I'm just gonna try and like be bored so I just sat there <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's something else. It's just <laughs> sitting. I should am, I, am I bored? <laughs> I should have practiced my breathing. And I was like, I'm not going to go on my phone. I'm not going to pick up my book. Um, I'm just going to sit here and see see what I do. Right. What happened? Oh, you first. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, mean... I just did some thinking. Okay. And then I went in the garden and did some hula hooping. Um, and then I did some stretching. Um and it was really nice. I didn't necessarily do anything. It was more, I, it was like a weird form of meditation okay. where I was sort of present, but I was just sort of uh, like allowing my mind to just sort of settle and like do what it wants. But I wasn't sort of like meditating or zoning out or anything. It was nice. It sounds interesting. I'd love to know where I was and the kids and everyone. I don't know where, I don't know where you were. <laughs> Probably at Splashdown, that's where you live. Oh, splat flumes. Flumes. I love a flume. I love a flume too. I've been fantasizing quite a lot about oh, like God. future holidays, because obviously we haven't been on one for two years. Um and I was thinking Water I park could based. Yeah, I could do a sort of round the world go to the best water parks, like a lifetime project. Wow, tick them off. Yes. Starting pool. 
Yeah. Splash down. Done it, mate. Ticked it off. <laughs> yeah. From pool to Dubai. I would I would love that. I love a water park. I love everything about it. I used to work uh, at a swimming pool in the Midlands that had a flume. It was, granted, not an, an exciting one. But um, I used to have to stand at the top and say, go. Oh, my goodness. Go. Stop. Yeah, that's no, like... stop it in the middle. That's why I like the... <laughs> You know the ones on the continent. I, I feel like they never had like rules like that, and it was just like kids governing themselves. Yeah, like, has enough time gone? Yeah. yeah, rip you back on the way down. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that one that I went on in Bali? You had to stand on the top. It was super high, a kamikaze. You had to like step onto a see-through platform, and then the the bottom would fall out, yeah. so the, the the floor would disappear, and and that's how you would go yeah. down the chute. And you're basically vertical. Yes, you like stood up. A little yeah, bit. so you cross your arms, you yeah. stood up. I would not do that. No, I was the only one that did it. It's I was straight up is, there. Yeah, but it was the straight was, up there. Yeah, but it was the rickety scaffolding like <laughs> up there. It was a lot of steps. It was the... a deep, deep thigh burn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just such an amazing, it's such an awesome, like, chucking humans down tubes I love of water. It. It's like real base level stuff. It's ultimate play. Surely Sliding. you can't go down there and not smile. No, and I... Lo- has it been done? I love the the kamikaze ones, because you sort of come out at the bottom and you're all like... You <laughs> oh, know, you're, you're flustered up. Yeah, like, your pants are, like, round yeah. your, you're around your <laughs> armpit and... <laughs> It's just so flustered. <laughs> you have to like compose yourself. Yeah, before you no stand one up. looks. Co- no one has ever looked cool. You're not styling out a kamikaze. No, getting no. out of that bath at the end. No uh, one. No. You look a mess. An absolute. And that's mess. how it should be. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And on that bombshell, <laughs> let's sign off, Ems. Thank you for listening. Um, don't forget to check out our Instagram at playful underscore den. If you want to hear more podcasts from me, you can join my Patreon, which is on Patreon. <laughs> Search Playful Den. It's five pounds a month and I do one live workshop as part of the Patreon membership. The next one is coming up um, on the 9th of August, Understanding Play Personalities, where I'll be teaching everyone what a play personality is and how to identify your own and anyone else's in your family. And I also do extra podcasts on there um, talking about all sorts of things. So you can check that out. We will see you back um, in a couple of weeks. Our next episode, Ben, is all about toys. Toys. Yeah. Who's that then? It's going to be a good one. I have the toy coach. Okay. Yeah, Adele Wade is coming on to talk about toys. I'm really looking forward to that. So have a good summer keep having a good summer folks don't forget to live playfully and we will see you next time bye